Hi, you are listening to Mediation Station, and this is your host, Greg Fenton. Each week we explore topics and ideas related to the experience of people with conflict and look to promote the profession of conflict resolvers. We are available to connect with at greggf at primus.ca and 647-227-4734. Visit us at our Facebook page to like us and Facebook group page to become a member. Also visit YouTube channels for both CHHA 1610 AM and Greg Fenton. Listen to podcasts of each radio show by visiting either of soundcloud.com or iTunes podcasts under Mediation Station in the arts area. We have a Twitter account that is at Fenton Mediation, so follow us. Our topic tonight is called Peel Family Mediation Services Symposium on Domestic Violence. With our visitors, Gail Brochu, Natasha Stewart, and Denise Johnson. And here in the studio is Gail, Natasha, and Denise. Welcome to the program, all of you. Thank you. Thank you for having me. So this is a quiz for the listeners. Can you guess which person, which voice? Who said yes? Thank you for having me. This is just a joke. Chillax. <laughs> Gail, you've been here before, so yeah. we'll start with you in the sense. How about you share some information along with the rest of you about your professional background? Sure. My background is uh, 23 years in child mental health and uh, six years as an accredited uh, family mediator. Okay. And my background is law. I have a bachelor's of law degree. And um, what's your name? My name is Natasha. <laughs> Sorry. It's okay. And um, worked at Peel Family Mediation for the last two years. Um, recently started as an information and referral coordinator. Studied mediation at Humber, so I have that background knowledge. Okay. Hi, I'm Denise, and um, my background is the social work. So I worked as an administration uh, administrator for a trusteeship program, helping manage finances, and also frontline work in a facility that assists women and children who are being abused. And okay. right now I am a student at Peel Family Mediation Services, doing my practicum. All right. So how about you each describe in some way the work you do? How would you put that into words? Let's start with you, Natasha. Um, so currently, as an information referral coordinator, it's um, it's frontline work, working with um, um, the community in the court-based mediation service. So on a daily, persons who are going through separation and divorce, they're seeking help as to how they could resolve their issues. Um, as we would know, mediation is an alternative to try to resolve these issues instead of going through court. Um, trying to resolve these issues there are other factors that come into play so there's violence involved there's financial issues there's all of these other things that you have to consider so my job is to identify like um, some of these issues like when persons don't outrightly say that there's domestic violence involved like probing asking questions trying to figure out um, how much deeper it goes um, outside of just trying to get a separation and divorce and trying to refer them to resources in the community that could be helpful for them. Legal resources, counseling services, um, uh, language services, just mm -hmm. all the resources that could be helpful for them. So it's just triaging them. Well, that's the, the key board. word I was going to bring to yes. light, triage. Right. So that's pretty much the work that we do. 
I'm just trying to figure out why they're here outside of what they're actually telling us. Yeah, finding a way to connect with the person in some level, to learn of, in some level, what's going on currently to see how to assist them that's to right. move along. To move along, exactly. So move in the process, that's right. Yeah. How about you, Denise? Much in the same, I work in the same capacity at the examination as a student. So as Natasha said, just triaging, asking questions, and then, you know, uh, triaging, and then deciding how to give practical assistance in moving um, people forward. So we're talking as well from all of this, and from family court perspective. Yes. So the lived experiences of people's relationships when they transition as intimates to now become separates, independents in some way. Sometimes they have children, sometimes they don't. Mm -hmm. They come from a range of kinds of relationships. Some are married, mm -hmm. some are common law, some are casual, etc. That's right. And how do you? And then they come through to when they have decided that uh, they would like to use the um, mediation process then that's when I'm involved, the uh, family mediator, and I'm also court-based. Uh, we, um, we do offer two free hours of mediation at the courthouse when the clients are in court that day. Okay. And then we also have the off-site option, which is uh, definitely um, also beneficial uh, to resolve the, the conflicts prior uh, continuing into the uh, litigation process. Um, it is on a sliding scale, financial, very, mm -hmm. very beneficial for all, um, you know, all types of, uh, all Situations and relationships? Yes, that's right. Now, how I come in with the domestic violence is that we are all, all the um, mediators are trained for um, domestic violence training mm -hmm. and screening, right? Therefore, we, we sit with the clients. We screen, we interview them, we, we have a conversation. Well, when you say the word screen, what yes. do you mean by that? So basically, we have specific questions, just like Natasha was saying earlier. So those questions touch on um, all the levels from um, physical, emotional, sexual, financial abuse. Um, we, we get a lot of information from our clients all the way from um, pets that are affected directly, indirectly, all the way to the children. Um, that are affected throughout the whole, you know, um, abuse. Or the whole situation of that person's lived experience. Right. And what brought them to at least consider what are my options or what, what potentials do I have to navigate this new relationship right. dimension, right? Right. So, by, for example, if we, um, let's say that I, my clients are, you know, one of them uh, is a victim of domestic violence and then they want to proceed with the mediation process mm -hmm. it's very very important as a mediator to have a safety plan to have maybe different arrival and departure time uh, definitely the um, victim would leave the mediation first make sure that she is you know have moved on out of the elevator enter the the person's car and they have moved on uh, that's another um, very, very important factor is to make sure that there's safety during the mediation. So we do shuttle mediation. We have them in different rooms. Um, I've done mediation on different floors at the Brampton Courthouse mm -hmm. um, as a mediator for Peel Family Mediation Services. Um, so we, we take the screening, we take the impact that the families um, have been go going through 
the impact, the the how it's affected them uh, in terms of really what I would call decision making. Right. Seriously, we think it's very serious, um, and we we. Uh, the more information that we get from them, yeah. the more that we can support them at all the levels. And um, yeah, when we say it's serious, it's really serious to the point where the police are always a panic button away. So if situation escalates, we're always just ready to resort to calling the police officers. If persons are really feeling threatened, the other parties there, they're not feeling comfortable. So that's how we kind of work. So as an IRC, we work with each other. So there's a mediation going on. There might be word pa passing along like that the other party's in the hallway. It's not safe. We try to not create such a scene, but make sure that there's protection. If it means that we have to get the police involved in. Yeah, and it's interesting that we use the word safe place, safe space, safe process. Mm -hmm. When people are going through very unsafe experiences, so how can you provide that? So, you know, it's important for all you individuals as uh, staff uh, working in the family court, the FLIC, the Family Law Information Center, to be supportive of each other. How do you support the client best? Well, you've got to collaborate and communicate and help the individuals who are coming in. And they come in uh, at different points of a relationship transition. Maybe even the relationship hasn't officially quantified where it's separated mm -hmm. right that's very correct sometimes we'll have a client that will come in on a Monday right and then uh, she will um, she will be very clear on the situation and then the other client will come in on a Thursday yeah so we get back-to-back -back clients you get both perspectives right that's or, right or yeah. I've had experience where it was the same minute like it was one coming in and the next client that I'm going to see is the the, the other party to the relationship right. yeah so right. and it's very interesting and it, you have to be very careful how you go about um, making that transition from talking to this person and then trying to not make any relation to the other person so um, confidential and, and not disclose confidential very information important. Right? very and important like teamwork in terms yes. of separating both parties and not like creating a scene. What about um, the, you know, you, because Superior Court deals with divorce matters. Yes. And one of the options is doing a joint process where both parties come in together to do the process. And, you know, sometimes you can feel from the way that people are, their body language and communicating. Yes, they're doing it technically on a joint process, though. It might be inclined that there's more to the story with yes. regard to me. How do you navigate when you have two people together? This, you know what? This is a really good point because at 393 University, mm -hmm. which I'm also, you know, uh, had experience working as information referral coordinator there. Uh, 393, they come in and it's such a very uh, uh, confi oh, not confined. What would you call it, Greg? I, I would I know call it a. Yeah. Yes, it's a very intimate uh, yes. room. And you, they will come and they'll say, okay, I, we want to join divorce. Yeah. And then 
Uh, but sometimes it's not as clear as one breaks down emotionally. It's just one is very quiet sometimes or one is very, very verbal. Mm -hmm. I really, I've had a lot of experience there just yeah. separating them. But, you know, that side room, right? Say, you know what, let's just have a one-on-one -on -one conversation. And it's a quick maybe 10-minute check-in with yeah. both. Yeah. And uh, you can get a lot of information in that 10 minutes. What would you say, Greg? And you know that when people come in and join, and let's just say, have you had any legal advice? Right. And so when that service was available, because at 393 University yes. Avenue Superior Court, it's no longer available as that, of August 1st. There's right. no what we call advice counsel or duty counsel. So a lawyer, as an advice counsel, cannot see both parties when they come in to have a get advice. So we have to find a way seamlessly without bringing any marked attention to the situation. Well, okay, it's best that we can suggest that one of you goes to speak with the lawyer to get some advice. And, you know, sometimes one person will speak up, take that uh, initiative, initiative and say, hey, and you have a sense within you that maybe it might be better that the other person who didn't speak up would be best to, to get that advice. Yes. Yeah. yeah. Sometimes the body language gives us a lot too because sometimes two people come in and, you know, one person's talking a lot and you realize the other person's not saying anything and you just look at the, the body language and you think, oh, maybe something else is going on here. And like you say, by just separating them, so much more comes out of it and then, mm -hmm. you know, usually... Mm -hmm. You're in our instincts are right when you're there. You just something is just not right about what they both are saying. So when you separate them, you get so much more. You're so right. That's yeah, true. You, you've got to use your intuition, yeah. your and gut a lot. Yes, mm -hmm. and I was I wanted to add to that because all three of us sometimes will be all three of us sitting at the desk at yeah. uh, in Brampton. And the resources, I find, you know, you'll give them their packages, we'll give them resources. We have a lot. Clio is an amazing resource. Community Legal Education Ontario. Yes. Yeah. Please, if you are listening to this and you are wondering where to get some material and where to get some information, go to the Clio website. It's a, it's a great government site and gives you a lot of information. So I use those booklets to actually break the ice and say, uh, you know, can you join me? Can you join me quickly? Uh, can you join me and uh, we'll uh, review these uh, resources? Yeah. Yes. And then, then it's not, it's one-on-one, -on -one, but with the resources. You know, we're trying to navigate when people come into the Family Law Information Centers at each of the respective courts throughout the province because there are, is a, a flick for short in the province at all the locations. I believe there's like 41 different family courts. Each court location has a variation of how much service time is provided. Of course, at Brampton, it's one of the busiest courts in the province, so it's going to have a lot of resources, as you guys are all team members as part of that. Mm -hmm. What are the things that uh, you value about the work that you do? Just the ability to help people, like to help them navigate the next stage of their lives. Um, we see people who are very, very vulnerable, like um, when somebody tells me that they've been thinking up, they've been separated mentally for the last 10 years, yeah. but it took them 10 years to get to the Family Law Information Center, and then I have the opportunity to create an experience for them that will impact their lives. It means so much to me, and I, and I just think about how can I make the best impact on this person's life. In those situations, um, I remember one instance speaking to someone and 
sharing that sharing that experience with me um, I could see that they were vulnerable they were afraid so taking them away from the public ear and more discreet area in more a, a more screened area is is, is is something that we do provide and they were able to open and just stepping outside of what you're everyday working and putting on a cap of um, trying to just generally encourage and providing community resources you could actually see that it's life-changing yeah, and I, I think, too, it's really important for people to understand that people don't always communicate what they want to when they're asked. When you're in the Family Law Information Center, it's a public setting. We're asking somewhat that could be seen as very private questions mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. that would reveal private information, and people might hesitate to be so open. And so bringing them to a discreet place, an office that's off, and you know, having that one-on-one -on -one conversation can be so em empowering for that individual. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. It, it definitely can save lives. Yeah. Uh, we've seen it. We've seen people, um, you know, that we've, we've moved right from uh, the flick office straight into shelter. Yep. With children. Right there, we've, there. right there and there. They've never, you know, they didn't go back home because the, the risk for their life was, was immediate. Mm -hmm. And that's w a privilege. It's a privilege, and you know, even working with these two right here, um, I just every time that we work together, it's we just it's so important the team also because team, I yeah. see her body language, and then I watch Natasha, and then Denise, you know, she'll be looking at me, and then I'll say, well, Denise, do you want to add something else? So maybe Denise picked up on something I didn't right on the spot, and then she takes off, and mm -hmm. I mean to work as a team. Yeah. Did you? Yeah, just for me, it's just the ability to be able to walk alongside with someone going through one of the most devastating things happening and just the opportunity to just be there in such a practical sense to just walk with them on this journey. I mean, you know, end of the ending of a relationship is, you know, it's almost like a grieving process and just to be able to be there in a human sense yep. just to provide practical what it is that I can do right now to help you in this moment. I mean, I had the opportunity just this Friday at the Family Mediation to sit down with a woman and safety plan. And like you were saying, Greg, it's just having a conversation and you hear, you know, so many years of trauma and everything, you know, leading up to that point. All they've survived. And it's just, it's amazing that people are able to survive these things and still have, you know, the, the, the ability to just walk into such a public place like they can say I'm here to still continue to resolve you know my issues mm -hmm. yeah. and as a mediator I just wanted to say the platform what an opportunity as a family mediator to have that platform of the process of mediation to empower yeah. now and to hear both sides like I mean everybody has a voice so that's how I feel privileged that you were asking I really feel um, the opportunity to offer both both clients a voice and both clients an opportunity to be heard even if it's in separate rooms to deliver the message clearly by myself listening and by myself picking up on the cues that my client wants me to relay clearly the message and it's important to provide a distinguishing aspect clearly from law or lawyer as advocate for one side against another, mm -hmm. 
with mediation where you don't advocate for one side against another. That's right. You have to maintain some equilibrium in terms of providing a space for both That's right. to be able to feel heard, That's right. to be able to express and make decisions. Of course, you have to quantify that when there are these concerns such as domestic violence, mental health, mm -hmm. substance abuse, the factors that can impact someone's ability to make healthy, productive decisions. For themselves. There could be uh, immigration issues, right. there could Absolutely. be financial abuse, yes. there, could be, there could be family. I mean, even the impact of the family, when you have a whole family that is against everything that you're moving forward yes. to stand up for your own self, that takes a lot. It's so much courage. It's, it's a lot of courage. And um, like you said, uh, what's the privilege? The privilege is being in the position to be able to provide these kind of options because people come to the flick thinking that this is the end of my life. I have no option. But we're able to say this is a community resource sheet. These are counseling services. There's a mandatory information program. There are mediators on site. There are lawyers. There's so many resources. They leave feeling like they have finally found a voice. Well, so. because when they're outside, they're going through their lived experiences the way they are. Many times people feel they're alone. Mm -hmm. They're feeling marginalized, isolated. Mm -hmm. And you know, when we're disconnected like that, we form a lot of assumptions. And many times assumptions are inadequate. They're misinformed pieces of decisions uh, about things. So going into the flick or the family law helps provide a space or a means for people to get access to that information and options. So, you know, this leads into the whole symposium because, uh, I mean, yes, this symposium is for amazing colleagues, um, professionals, but also as humans, as people, uh, we are in relationships every day. We are in relationships with coworkers. We are in relationships with our, our family members, our neighbors, our community. Mm -hmm. And to recognize this, I know we talk about domestic violence and some people, I want to just make sure that everybody knows that when we say domestic violence, it does not have to be what you see on TV. It could be just a look that my husband or my son or my neighbor gives me that I don't want to proceed with honoring myself. That is a very clear, very thin line. So by by having these symposium, I believe, or these courses that we're on, it really opens my eyes every year, this symposium of what's my implication mm -hmm. and what are the people that are around me how are they treating me and how am I treating my colleagues? How am I treating my family members? So it really, um, uh, it really wakes me up every time the symposium is, is such an eye-opener. So I we're going to explore that more. What do, you, what do you see though as the uh, impact on individuals when they're experiencing domestic violence? It's, it's the voice. They've lost their voice. Like, um, um, persons, it, 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 um, persons go through separation and divorce, like I said, most of the times persons tell me that it's been five years mentally that I've been um, divorced or separated in my head, but I'm just coming forward. So they've lost their voice, they don't know who to trust, they don't know who to turn to. The, the time when they finally come to somewhere like the Family Law Information Center, they, you have to probe them to get this kind of information mm -hmm. out of them. So that's the impact. They've given up everything. They've lost everything. But what about if you, from your training and your education, mm -hmm. and what you sense through your intuition, 
that this is a situation involving abuse, violence. Yes. And then you somehow, you want to communicate something about that to the party or the person, yet they won't acknowledge that. There's not, I'll speak as a mediator again. Um, I'm not there to, to judge. I'm not there to tell you what your situation's all about. I'm there to hear you out. Once they speak and they start talking, they usually, they have a light bulb moment. It's so, it's so interesting. I, and Greg, I know you know what I'm talking about because you are a mediator. And especially when they're in shuttle, they will talk and talk. In, in and separate rooms. In for, separate yeah. rooms, sorry, for everyone else. It's, uh, they will be sharing an incident. Let's say we're talking about custody. And then they have a very clear um, you know, uh, reason why they're asking for specifics. And so they talk and then they hear themselves talking because I'm listening. Then I would say, okay, so then uh, correct me if I'm wrong, but the reason why you want ABC is because of uh, what you have shared. And then they hear themselves and then they say, wow. Well, okay. you know, it's one of your skill sets as a mediator is to paraphrase and That's right. re reframe, get people to reflect upon right. what was just said. So it's not my position now, Greg, going back to your question, to tell them, hey, you know what? You are abused. Right. That is not my position. My position is just to... And, and that's not your intention. That's right. That's not why I'm there. So well, how do you navigate, though, when you sense that this is a struggle for that person, yet they have ownership? Yes. There's resources. There's community right. resources. Sometimes when you point them to it, they'll... They, they might not acknowledge it right there and then, but they might go home, they might think about it, but you make sure that you give them the resources that they need. We talked about the individuals who, with whom come into the family court being human beings, which of course they are. You guys are also human beings. Mm -hmm. How are you affected or impacted by the work you do, especially with the nature of many of the traumatic experiences that people go through? Well, I'd, uh, I have to say... Um uh, Self-care would be my first, um, the first uh, important thing because uh, uh, we do deal very long hours sometimes, you know, you're five, six, seven hours in mediation, uh, maybe a double mediation or just one mediation, and uh, you really have to have a way to diffuse um, healthy, in a healthy way. Um, and um, I really, really am proud of myself for, I think that the, the 24 years of uh, child mental health really helped me to separate. Um, how do I leave work at work and then home? Though at the same time you're connected, so it's... Uh, During maybe, work I'm connected. Uh, right, but it's com compartmentalizing some That's way. right, that's right. T decipher, okay, this is happening, this did happen. And another point before you, t uh, you two uh, jump in is that uh, being able to uh, process with my colleagues. Yes. So if we have, let's say, Denise and I are dealing with a client or we just experienced something, is to sit and take a few minutes, uh, which we had the other day, our director of operation asked us, okay, guys, uh, everybody was there. We went into the office. She says, I'm just checking in quickly. Is everybody Is okay? okay? Yeah. Um, I walked in and you, we were having a very serious conversation about a client and she just checked in for two minutes and it really gathered all of us to go back. We're back on the floor, everybody's going back in. So it was really, that's very important. Yeah. For me, 
at the at the IRC desk because it's just person after person after person, and you're absorbing all that for you know eight hours a day. Mm -hmm. It really takes a toll on you. And what you said is critical: is just being able to to you know debrief just on the spot, not along. Just talk mm -hmm. about what just happened, what you know, what we just saw, what mm -hmm. we just heard, and then be able to move on because. I know some days at Flick, when by the time you take your lunch, you feel so drained, and it's just because it's the constant flow of every second. There's somebody come, and it's a another story, another story, another story, and those stories are important, and they affect us because it's the real lives of people. You know, it's it's just somebody is going through this, mm -hmm. and so it does affect on a major level. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's interesting. You asked that question. Just last week, I was doing my research. Because I'm very new to this, um, I've only been doing it for two, a year and a half. Um, compassion fatigue. I was reading, just reading mm -hmm. an article mm -hmm. about that, and how it's real. Because some mm -hmm. days I'd be just so drained, and I'd be wondering if I did well enough in making sure that this um, client's need was resolved. So from time to time, I'd ask my colleague, "What do you think? How can we? Ref how can I ask better questions? Do you think I dealt with this situation correctly, mm -hmm. and stuff like that?" And then, it's it's the reality. You have to be passionate about what you're doing, and knowing that at the end of the day, you're just trying to help, and you're just passionate about helping. That's my call. So that's my reminder that this is why I'm doing this. So the fatigue is going to come, the frustration is going to come, but I'm dealing with it because. This is the career I chose because I, I genuinely want to help. And you yeah. have to find a balance you, with yeah. where you're providing a supportive means of connecting with people. Mm -hmm. And yeah. at the same time, you're not taking ownership for their lived yes. experiences. Exactly. That's right. And the decisions they have to make. That's right. Right? So I do have a program coming up in December on vicarious trauma. Yeah. Um, all that related to mediation. I had a program last year, and I had a program earlier in the spring. Someone in the States, she does trauma-informed mediation. So yes, it is a lived reality yeah. for the professionals who are, as human beings, affected by the work we do to assist. And actually, a couple of weeks ago, too, I had a program on mental health in the legal profession. Lawyers as yes. well. Yes. Just last week, Gail and I and our colleague from Yellow Brick were having mm -hmm. this conversation, and we were like, Yellow Brick House, let me interrupt, yeah. Yellow Brick House, <laughs> uh, social-emotional <laughs> support at the Newmarket Courthouse in the York region, right. absolutely an amazing resource. So we were saying, we don't know how you do it, but we're not realizing that we're all doing the same work. <laughs> yes. Yeah. We're re recognizing that our colleague is going through this much doing it. Yes. But it's just recognizing that the work You're is not stressful. alone, too, right? And we're right. not alone. The clients are not alone. Indirectly. And we as practitioners yeah. and professionals are <laughs> Yes, we were, we were definitely celebrating her. And, you know, you mentioning that this evening is really a good point because... I really think she walks on water <laughs> and said to <laughs> Natasha, I have no, no idea no, how she <laughs> does her job, but like you said, Natasha, we all do it's it. Indirectly acknowledging own. that we're all doing the same thing. That's right. So the upcoming symposium. Yes. What is it uh, for? It is for um, educating and to um, uh, infor information given and it's, uh, it's for professionals and um quantify professional yes what does that mean? yes what kind of people are professionals well everybody's a professional but i just mean like who works in the field right so, so we have yes so in the adr profession um lawyers 
ADR. But so we have mental health workers mental too. Health. Social workers, Social mental workers. health workers, yes. settlement workers. It's pretty open because um, we'd, we would probably think that these are the only professionals that deal with this kind of issue. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. But if you go on the bus, if you take the bus, the bus driver might be dealing with the, just the person coming out of uh, jail because they police they officers yes, too. Yes, we have police officers. We have uh, we have doctors. We have police officers. We have. Well, the first responders. I mean, there's individuals show up at domestic violence yeah. that's yes. occurred at a home. So that's right. Information and training for anyone who, in their work, may come in contact with situations of domestic violence, that's right. intimate partner violence. Yes, right? we have politicians that come. We definitely have our justices that will be present. Uh, I mean, it's, it's really a community. Um, it's who's involved, and it looks like everybody's on the same page that everybody deals with with people therefore we're all dealing with people that have potential um, um, have been in that situation that vulnerable situation so why do you want to have this conversation uh, the conversation I mean, in general let's just say well no we don't talk about that right uh, we shouldn't talk about that and especially your emphasis this year is on culture yes so why would we even want to have this conversation in public when, um, at first, when, when we were brainstorming what the topic should be for the symposium, I thought um, in, my, in, my, in my not so much experience working as an information and referral coordinator, I realized that culture has a very big role to play in how people react to um, violent situations. Um, I've had experiences where because you're of a certain culture, it's not, it's taboo, it's not accepted. You can't speak about uh, violence and coming to somewhere as so public like the flick to talk about it it's almost as if you're going to be an outcast mm -hmm. in your community so who you see at that desk will really determine whether or not you have that conversation so persons from certain um, backgrounds may not want to have a conversation with someone from a different background who sits well at we that can desk. we can name it out I mean and if, if um, someone's come from a culture that's very male centric and dominated that's yes. correct. and then there's a male worker at the flick exactly there may be an apprehension for that person to want to have the conversation that can go to the depth absolutely exactly. right? so it's just a matter of figuring out how am i going to navigate how do i recognize that this person is having a this cultural barrier and how do i pass it on to my colleague or how do i break the ice how do i move further further this kind of conversation so go ahead Denise because I think you have that experience yeah. all the time yeah and just even before all that the reason why we want to talk about it is yeah. so we can demystify it because you talk about it it's in the open you you, you remove the stigma um, around it so yep. it can we can have an open honest discussion about that these things are happening yes and how do we as how do we work to make sure that they no longer happen Yes. And people use the silly notion of expression to say, well, if we, we talk about it, it actually promotes it. You're promoting violence. The f that's nonsense, as we know. Yes. And it's because things have not been spoken to and about Precisely. that things do continue to Precisely. recur and get reinforced, and people are marginalized. Yes, and isolation. Um, I mean, nothing, nothing really comes out in isolation. So you bust that bubble, and um, we all know that it is a problem. I mean, it could be a situation from when you decide to separate 
to the actual separation, physical separation, to even just the thought. I mean, if you are, if you are, if you feel that, and this is just a message to everybody out there, everybody, professionals and non-professionals, everybody, if you are in a situation that you're just not sure, you're just not sure, I think this is just for my life, this is the way it is, and I'm accepting it, you know, come out to the Flick office. There's a lot of people that just come in to, to touch base to ask questions. They have no plans to separate. You know, right. you don't have to be there. Yeah. It, it could be a preventative. We have services for preventative. We have pr a support services. We have even for children that are demonstrating or echoing behaviors that are going on in the home. We can help your children or send you to uh, a professional that can help your children. I mean, it's not just the people that, okay, we're now separating. I need to go to the Flick office at the courthouse. No, we are a hub of information. So a lot of our clients to say, well, I'm not ready to, to make to a... Find out. Exactly. Yeah. Resource. And we have tons there. We have a whole wall of resources. Yes. We have a whole wall of resources that can help. help you in whatever stage you are at in yes. making decisions and, and reclaiming and your just, power. Yeah. And we Google. How many we, times? We Every, all to. day I'll Google research, resources. I will print. I will print um, resources for the clients. I mean, we're there. Yeah. Uh, and I, and I, I print map quests for clients that need to uh, that want to you know go find out where the nearest uh, service Ontario is I mean yeah, yeah, there's, there's no limit to and it's what, what we, we can provide to assist and in any form yeah and it's just realizing too that um, as professionals we have our own biases we have our, we have our own cultural biases we have our own preconceptions of what a certain culture do or how they look at violence and these kinds of trainings will give us like it will open our eyes to realizing that we have to put these biases aside and look at people for who they are and violence for what it is mm -hmm. and that it can happen to anyone it can happen to somebody from our community their Absolutely. community it's not it's not a cultural thing no. it's not that that community is more prone to violence or this community is more prone to it as professionals we these training help to reinforce the fact that we have to put away our biases and look at it take away that culture cultural lens and mm -hmm. well we, you know as human beings we are affected as we talked about and we're trying to help people to affect them to help them hopefully to get the needed information that they would be best served by getting access to and many be they haven't had the decision or come to the decision to leave that relationship mm -hmm. and then they have to go back with the information that they have so you talked earlier about safety planning yes you know how do you give people information so that they don't disclose it at home in a very vulnerable place in some way so sometimes we don't even give them hard copy we don't we just let them or give them websites for them to search on their own and remind them to delete their their history I mean there's a lot of different ways to keep safe and at the same time get information just putting numbers in your phone and you know just saving it under something that's you know only you know what it is um, just simple things like those. Yes. Um, there's many of the websites now that um, work on addressing issues of domestic violence and intimate partner violence. They have like an escape button. 
so once you're on there, somebody comes, you just press that button and it changes the screen so nobody can see what you're looking at. Yes. Okay. Yes. And as professionals, we have to be aware of the changes. That and you would as well with the family court support worker programs. Yes. Because at each of the courts, too, we need to mention yep. that there is a service provider that's specific to women who are or have been going through domestic violence situations. Yes, we don't, not every courthouse has it, Greg. I just want to make sure that everybody knows that. Uh, but if, let's say, you go to a, your courthouse, let's say you're, just for example, the major centers Timmins, Ontario, or Capuscasing, or Thunder Bay, or anywhere where, let's say, there's none, yeah. uh, you can definitely... Um, you can uh, definitely get community service. So th they might redirect you off-site, but not every courthouse. I just no. want to make sure. The, the major ones, for sure. Brampton will have it. We don't have Newmark an no. on-site, unfortunately. <laughs> you we don't do have not. a family court support worker no, there anymore? we don't anymore. Wow. So we Sorry. have the resource sheet we where do. We, they can call. That's why I wanted to make sure. Yeah, Greg. good. <laughs> We have yeah. a very good yeah, resource. Yeah, yeah oh. we do have re a very good resource, but no, we do not have that privilege. And it's definitely, uh, just like uh, Natasha was saying in Newmarket with the Yellow Brick House, they're right inside the hub of the flick. Yeah. Right, their office is right there. And then when we triage them, right away, there's specific questions. We know to send them right away to the to the court support. We just stop the interaction. Well, you transition. But, right you know, away. you're front line to help identify. Yes. And then you refer. That's yeah. it. Peel Family Mediation Services Symposium on Domestic Violence that's coming up on. When's it coming up on? November 15th, 2019. Where's it taking place? It's going to be at the Garden Convention Center. It's in Mandarin, um, 8 Clipper Court, Bampton. Right. And the hours? It's going to be between um, 8.30 a.m., uh, 8.45 a.m. to 4.45 p.m. You should check in at 8.30 a.m. Right, and um, if they want more information, what's the easiest way to access that? Well, definitely call us. Um, what's that phone number? 905-452-7367 or email us, symposium at peelfamilymediation.org. Okay. So what kind of activities? What, what's going to take place during the day? Okay, so this is going to be an amazing day, okay? Um, the one activity that's very interactive and also new is an interactive theater performance. Therefore, the whole, um, all the guests will be involved in this presentation, and it's basically going to be um, some skits, and it's a hands-on experience, and uh, it's going to be very, very interesting. Yeah. Also, the opening ceremony with the Peel Aboriginal Network we do that um, every uh, start of the symposium, and we smudge, uh, we do, we cleanse uh, for purity in our thoughts um, and our our eyes to view with purity, to speak with with uh, purity, with positively, and to act in respect. All of us, uh, it's a pretty. Yeah. Um, so, so what are some of the topics topic for? Presentation. Okay. Topic. Yeah. Yeah. So um, some of the highlights we have the uh, we'll have uh, someone from uh, the federal government from the government of Canada, Women and Gender Equity Canada, um, speaking about um, overview of the salient points from Canada's national strategy strategy prevents and address gender based violence. We'll have a representative from the United Nations Special Rapporteur. Um, 
speaking on um, IPV initiatives and why they matter internationally. We'll also what's have... I, what's IPV? Inter so the Intimate Partner Violence. Yeah. So why yes. Canadian Intimate Partner Violence Initiatives matter internationally? Very, very... Yeah. Interesting. Very, interesting. very interesting. We're also going to be having the privilege to have um, someone from the Untying the Knot, A Path to Empowerment After Violence. Now, this was um, an amazing uh, reportage done at the CBC. It's a documentary uh, from CBC Canada. And um, it was, uh, you, you can go on uh, November 24th. They will have the full it will feature the whole documentary, but we will have um, on the panel um, an expert. Um, uh, one of the filmmakers? I think it will be the producer, right, ladies? Is that who's coming? Yes, the and producer. Yes, and uh, so exciting. And then so exciting. we will be talking about, uh, we'll be talking, uh, Dr. Angela Malice um, will be speaking um, about her upcoming book, I think it's called Smart, Successful and Abused, and it's the unspoken problem of domestic violence and high-achieving women. And uh, Dr. Angela Malice is actually a colleague. She worked with um, the high-profile case you heard in the news, Mohammed Shamji, who... Um, the doctor? The doctor, yes. The doctor was murdered by the doctor? Yes. yes. So she will be there speaking um, about her book and, mm -hmm. and those issues. And her book will be available... To mm -hmm. purchase, right? Yeah. Yes. So, for the event, it's not a free event. This is a not-for-profit, for sure. There, there is a cost for the day. What mm -hmm. is the cost? So it will be ninety-five dollars per person mm -hmm. um, for early registration by October 29th. So after October 29th, the rate goes up by only five dollars. So it will only be a hundred dollars. Um, plus until November 14th. Plus HST. Plus, well, plus HST <laughs> always. Yes. Um, feel free to purchase on Eventbrite. And like I said before, you can call us just to get more information. I would really like to just chime in and tell everybody that if you cannot make it, please consider sponsoring a student. We right. really, really value our students and our, our uh, maybe some professionals that cannot uh, afford or some people that would really like to come, but they cannot afford to come. So uh, even if you can't be... So when you say sponsor, it means like buy a ticket on behalf of and yes. for that person to be able to attend. Yes, because we are a nonprofit, right? So yeah. I mean, and to, to even offer that opportunity, you have no idea whose life you can change just for them to have an opportunity to be... Um, at this event, at this event. These, these are students from Humber College who are taking the ADR pro the Alternative Dispute Resolution Program mm -hmm. or York University um, School of Social Work and mm -hmm. um, program. or anybody who's working with people, with people. that's right yeah. we, we've and sponsored uh, court clerks from the Brampton Courthouse I mean that we're very interested um, you know and we have people that say you know what unfortunately financially I cannot handle it but I'd really like to be there so you never know why you're well you're I going mean to be this is this is to equip people such as yourselves mm -hmm. with m no more knowledge mm -hmm. more skills in yes. order how to support better individuals who are experiencing these kinds of lived experiences yes yes, yes. and um, to provide tools in order to do the work that we do we more do. effectively exactly yes. yes and there's also a group registration which will continue throughout for 95 dollars um, for groups of five so persons can um, take advantage of that 
um, the day will feature um, live band, seals band, some entertainment, some yeah. entertainment yes. and the food. And so there'll the be food, some food too. Oh, all yes. can eat the food day. does not the stop food coming. Is always coming all day. Yes. So the breakfast. You're not cooking it, are, are you? Oh no, no, no. 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 You, know, you know, you know. Not that I'm cook. saying you can't cook. <laughs> That's not what I'm saying. Matt You're going to be busy with other stuff. Going to be very well professional. Yes, it's going to. It's always a very, very good day. It's a very feel good day and also we don't as uh, you know when we work together yes we do see each other but we don't have that downtime to really talk with our colleagues so when we sit together and have lunch together it's really it's a really good way and we also meet new the new people that come into the the system like yeah. to our, our colleagues you know Greg we've mm -hmm. met there a few times and or through yes. our training and so by networking up. it's another way to acquire more knowledge of course. So we have a very short time left. What do you want people to take away or learn from our conversation? Um, mostly, uh, if you are, domestic violence is not okay. Um, no matter what culture, it's not okay, it's not acceptable, and you are not alone. And there are resources out there to help you um, in your community. Like we mentioned, the Family Law Information Center is a great place to start. Um, this symposium will be a great day of networking, of learning, of training, in looking at the ways in which culture and domestic violence intersect and then how we can best, you know, debunk those and how uh, we as professionals do some tools so we can work better and serve our, our community better and serve each other better because, like you mentioned many times before, Greg, it's lived human experiences mm -hmm. that's right okay so we thank you, almost yeah we denise, wh denise what about thank you that denise, she said natasha so gail we, no, for the closing for the remarks thank you group hug group hug group hug <laughs> we'll take a photo of all that so people can have a, a lasting impression a visual yes. but just to add like yes, um, in, uh, for persons out there all family courthouses do have a family law information center right um you're always welcome to come in and speak with someone. And I just want to ask, as mediation, um, even if you are in a situation, vulnerable situation, there's always an opportunity for a safe decision making. Okay. Thank you very much for the three of you coming on this night. Appreciate it for the conversation, and we'll look to get out the podcast in the future. Thank you very much. You've been much listening for to us. Mediation Thank Station you. on CHHA, 1610 AM. Thanks for having us. Thank you. Thank Greg. you for having us.